child has rights. A person has rights. To discover her own mistakes, to make her own way, to grow and blossom in her own particular soil. Are we getting into botany, Doctor? Are we flowers? I thought you came up here to have a nervous breakdown. Well, I've decided not to have one. It's all the same to you. Hello once again for an episode of the IMMP podcast from the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And it's still melodrama month here at the IMMP. Yeah, that is definitely the theme we've got going on. I have made Ian watch another movie. And it is not only a movie from the distant time of the 21st century, excuse me, the distant time of the 20th century. The, yes. This is uh, from the, the early part of the 20th century. The yeah. Early, early 1940s. 19, yeah. 1942 yes. based on a, a novel from 1941. So like the 1935 version of uh, Magnificent Obsession that we talked about last time, this is something that was based on a recently popular novel that they yeah. adapted into this movie with the full-on movie stars. It stars uh, Betty Davis and mm-hmm. Paul Henreid and, and our, our buddy Claude Rains. Once Claude again, Rains. we know him from our Universal Movie Monsters uh, at Halloween time. I don't know if we've watched any other movies with Claude Rains, but he was in The Wolfman. He was The Invisible yeah. Man. Yeah, he's I been mean, in. Yeah, he kind of he gets to play interesting characters. Yeah. Is he starting to rival Bill Bixby as a feature on this podcast? Oh, who will stop the reins? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Lord, may he long may he Claude reigns. <laughs> this also has Gladys Cooper, who's it, one of those names I know, but like works I don't know as well. Yeah. Have we mentioned the, the movie's name yet? Sometimes we drag that out. Sometimes we do. We're talking about Now Voyager. An odd hmm. title because it's you know, Now, comma, Voyager. And it is a line from a Walt Whitman poem that is referenced in the, uh, in the story, in the movie. Yeah, it, it is like, I know that it didn't exist. <laughs> When they're dealing with it, but there is something learned from this on how to sabotage your own search engine optimization <laughs> to some extent, because the moment you put that comma in there, Google searches have a hard time. I was finding yeah, they were yeah. inconsistent, at least you got to wrap that in quotes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, oddly enough, you just put now Voyager. It understands you. The moment you put in the proper punctuation, it just goes haywire. <laughs> We've we've compared it briefly now to uh, Magnificent Obsession, but there are some very, very distinct differences in this movie. Oh, yeah. In Magnificent Obsession, we had the character of Helen, who was sort of a prop. She was a, a character without any agency, when you get down to it. Yeah, problematically so. That is absolutely not the case with no. Charlotte Vale, Betty Davis's character in Now Voyager. She, it is all about her journey of self discovery and self purpose. Right. The whole story is her claiming her own agency and her control over her own life and mm-hmm. then having difficult decisions to make about it. 
Exactly. So we get to see both of those facets. And it starts out with her really, really in a bad state because of her family life and her situation. She is drab. She's, you know, all tense. She's panicky. And she is constantly at the the whims and mercy of her mother being played by, by Gladys Cooper, who is just this belittling and harsh woman. Yes, this is a movie that is so much about mental health and the mental health impact of an abusive parent. Yes. It's made very clear early on that that Charlotte was a it's, it's a very wealthy family, by the way. The Vales are Boston upper crust, lots of money, lots of social prestige. Mm. And Charlotte was a, a late child. Her parents had already had their three sons, and quite some time later. Charlotte came along, and it's kind of clear she was not particularly expected or wanted. Yeah. And her mother thought, well, at least I've got someone to take care of me when I get older. And she just controlled absolutely every aspect of of Charlotte's life, including telling Charlotte she was not worth very much and that she didn't matter and she should just do what she's told. And that had an, an impact one might be able to predict. Oh, yeah. Someone living their entire life like this. Charlotte's self-confidence is non-existent and she has interests and passions. She's not, she's not blank, but she is repressed in that yes, sense. She's very intelligent. She's creative. She, and we, we get a flashback early on also about when she was younger, when she was about 20 mm-hmm. and, and she fell in love and she actually yeah. fell in love with uh, an officer on a, a ship. When uh, her mother, uh, she and her mother were were traveling, and the way that that ended, and with the way that that relationship was was blocked and destroyed, was I think one of the things that was crippling to Charlotte. <sighs> and other members of the family are concerned for her, but in some ways, because Charlotte's mental health is so bad, it makes her easier to control. Charlotte's mother is more than happy to keep her in this state where she can be bossed around and used and never rises against or pushes back at all. Meanwhile, other family members are bringing in a psychiatrist, are bringing in people to try to talk to Charlotte and help her. Yes, we have... Um, not, all, not all of them are good at it. One of Charlotte's sisters-in-law brings Dr. Jackwith, played by Claude Rains. And he is mm-hmm. one, one of the, the foremost psychiatrists uh, in the country, or at least the East Coast. And she genuinely wants to help Charlotte because she sees that Charlotte can't go on like this. And yet there is also this, they deal with the stigma around mental health issues and mental health treatment that was, was encountered at the time. Oh, and yeah. how you know, part of the, uh, the reason for the mother's resistance to any kind of help for Charlotte was not only does, is she perfectly fine with the way Charlotte is, but she does not want the stigma of a psychiatrist treating a member of this important family. And the, the way they introduce uh, the doctor to Charlotte, where the sister-in-law wants to be calm and safe and kind of introduce her slowly, get her help, and Charlotte's mom will just agree to that. And then the moment they're sitting down, she'll throw that out the window and 
use kind of a look we've had to waste this man's time by bringing him here yeah she uses it as another chance to belittle charlotte and knock her down further which immediately tells the 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 doctor where the problem lies and he kind of sees it firsthand and calls the mom out on it early i must say yes and the uh the the doctor is shown as being somebody who is smart who is unconventional and mm-hmm. who's very who's clever about getting charlotte to open up while i'll never pretending that that she would not be able to see through this but he can sense there's something that where she does want someone to talk to and she does have things to say and he sort of gives her those opportunities, wants him, her to show him around the house. He's, he's very, very clever, but not sneaky about how yes. he gets her to talk to him. And she plays along, for the most part, very well. Yeah. He actually starts to be able to, like, to make that connection that's the first step needed. And she fights back on that a little. And but is almost ready to open up until getting back to meet family again, where uh, the mom and the niece who doesn't really think her actions through who shows up as well. Right. She was essentially raised, it seemed, kind of just accepting that Charlotte was the the weird aunt who everybody makes fun of. And that's she didn't understand why that's suddenly a problem when it. It really does lead to a kind of a nervous collapse or a nervous breakdown is the generic term from the 1940s on Charlotte's part. Exactly. And that just undoes a lot of the work that was being set up already. But it, it shows just how rough this is. It does. It, it, it shows you that it was, it was good of Charlotte's sister-in-law to realize that she needed this kind of help. And it... It makes it clear that, yeah, she does need help, and she does go to the retreat with, uh, with Dr. Jackwith for, yeah. for psychiatric treatment. And also just time away from her mother and time to learn who she is. It's, they aren't very specific about the kind of treatment that she gets, but so much of it, what we hear about it, it's mostly just about giving you space from the environment that was creating the problems and talk therapy with dr jack with helping rebuild your sense of self and the fact that this is a retreat also includes some things such as eating a little healthier getting out and exercising more there's some physical to go along with the mental kind of acknowledging those as connected concepts where her self-image is being improved Mentally, but her physical ability to feel okay is also being improved. Yes, yes. That's a a good depiction of this sanitarium is that it is not just a place for psychiatric treatment. It is a very treat the whole person, which again shows sort of a a modern approach by Dr. Jackwith, who's just Claude Rains is just a terrific character actor for this kind of role, and it's fun to watch him in this role. He's not a perfect person. But he yeah. is absolutely the right person for these characters at this time. And it's fun to see that. The same energy that lets him play everything with a seriousness in the other things we've seen, the horror, the fantastical, means that he plays this subtle and clever you know, doctor who understands what this person needs and just needs to poke them in the right direction to help them. Right. He plays it very well with this little understanding caring smile 
And he's the kind of character who, ha- who has enough confidence in himself and his methods that he is willing to, with a wry smile, relinquish some control when he realizes that's the right course for these people. Exactly. This is also where they, as, as we see her now having gone through the treatment and through and getting some help and getting to be herself more, this is where they get to pull some amazing costuming and acting and makeup work. Where Betty Davis, this famous starlet of the screen who has this, this charisma and this power, has been playing everything toned down and meek and, and tight and gets to actually relax and loosen up. And the performance, it's almost hard for a moment to realize it's, she's playing the same character. Yes. They make the transformation properly dramatic enough. Some of that is with the hair and makeup and wardrobe, and she was so frumpy and so disheveled, and the big bushy eyebrows and the uh, the unkempt hair. And then she is so much more fit and more lively. And after after the treatment, and yet, yeah, so much of it is the acting, the the portrayal of this character. Well, they explain that the, uh, the some of the outfits she has are from the sister-in-law who lent her stuff and put them in the in the suitcase for her. So she's got these much more Betty Davis actress kind of outfits. But even so, she's playing them like they're awkward to be in. <laughs> yes. So it's like she's getting to present the surface right but the little bit of acting means that in motion she looks uncomfortable in the right wrong way yes and we see that change over time it's like she is she's discovered the who she wants to be and who she can be but that doesn't mean she's immediately comfortable being that person she has to grow into that person and has to have the confidence to grow into that person that she mm-hmm. now has as a she now recognizes as a possibility even Yes. And she has that opportunity because her her sister-in-law cooked up a plan to keep her from having to go right back home after all this successful treatment from Dr. Jackwith. Because immediately going back home into her mother's arms is just going to cause probably a snap and a regression is the part of the worry. Right. She hadn't really gotten a chance to be her new self anywhere other than the sanitarium. So instead she goes off on this cruise, a cruise to South America, and she's under an assumed name because they kind of swapped tickets at the last minute, and all of it was, yeah, uh, it wasn't necessarily with her mother's approval at all, but they figured out a way to make it happen. There's a little bit of spycraft almost going on, <laughs> yes. trying to just get her, her where they want, where, where she really should be. But it's on the it's on the trip, which is an intriguing parallel that she had this romance on a boat. And now she's on a boat again. Yes. Yes. And that's where she meets. Jerry played by Paul Henry. Yes, that was him. And he's doing an excellent job. He is. He is the the suave, smart, handsome person who who notices her and pays attention to her and is captivated by her the person that she's now experimenting with being and he has secrets as well and this is where the melodrama comes in yes because we've got her past and her secrets and who she's trying to turn into and then we we slowly learn his secrets that he is he he is 
uh, attracted to her and vice versa, but he's married. It's not mm. a happy marriage. It's a, it's, it's filled with problems. He has children about whom he cares very much. And he's never, uh, it seems like he's never really seriously thought about leaving his, his wife or his family. But here the two of them are on this ship and, and in, later in, uh, uh, in Rio. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to describe this, this romance that, that kind of builds between them. It is. There's this. It's definitely one of those like romances of flawed people kind of thing where each of them are trying their best to cover or handle the flaws they see in themselves mm-hmm. while being so enamored of the best things they see in each other. And in some ways, the fact that they each can reflect these these attributes that they see in the other back to the person who needs to know them means that they help each other feel better and be themselves more. Yes. And we see that build throughout the whole movie. I think the, the kind of relationship that they're portraying is the sort of, it's, it's a romance that it is at, that is at a higher level that sort of transcends a typical romance, a typical romantic relationship. Yeah. And eventually they find a way to have that make a sense in the world by the end of the movie. Yeah, it takes a lot of setup to make it happen, but this is where we first see it. Yeah. And there's some very, very wonderful things about kind of learning the truth of each other. Yes. And this is where we get all of the melodrama with his secrets and the fact that she has to go home to Boston eventually weighing on her. And the fact that she's really not confident in being this new person who she is and wants Mm -hmm. to be. She shows a picture of the family to him. And he's wondering where she is. Right. It's like, no, that person over there is me. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it, th- it, he's like, oh, you're taking the photo? No, I've changed that much. Mm-hmm. Just surprises him. And, and, and I, there's a wonder. I, I, I loved the bit where he, where she's all guilt. She's all feeling guilty because the outfit she's wearing to this fancy dinner is borrowed. Yes. And there's a pinned note to it. She finds about the fact that, oh, like, I'm lending you this one. Hopefully you, it, you can feel as good in it as I do from the sister-in-law and such. And she's all feeling, oh, see, I, even this is fake. Nothing, none of this about me is real. And he's like, oh, no, just because your wings are borrowed doesn't mean you cannot fly, kind of. Right. I forget the line, but it's a beautiful yes, moment. The wings are borrowed, they still suit you beautifully or something like That's that. He's he just such a smooth character. And, and it's the fact that she's like, oh, it's got butterflies. I didn't even think that he's like, I love butterflies. It's one of my <laughs> hobbies. And it's like, there's this, this, this touch of fated aspect to how they wind right. up clicking so frequently. Right. It's, it, she lacks this confidence such that any little chip in it, like knowing that he now knows that these are borrowed clothes, threatens to make her make everything crumble for her. And yet he accepts that and rolls with it and it doesn't change his view of her and it takes her a while and it takes her several iterations of this to realize no that doesn't matter if it's and it's not changing how he thinks of me maybe it's not changing anything that's important him kind of accepting that is part of what gives her the the confidence to accept it back and there are various other romantic scenes where he, they 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 wind up 
in a, a minor auto accident when their cab driver goes off course. And, you know, it's kind of a somewhat racist depiction of a of a, a Rio, uh, a Brazilian yeah. cab driver. Which is, it's a 1940s movie. You know, I was very bewildered when there was a tiny review of Romancing the Stone somehow <laughs> snuck into the middle of Now Voyager. Yes, yeah, so they wind up having to spend the, a night in the mountains in a cabin. And yeah. various romantic setups. She misses her boat, so she has to spend another five days with him. Has to spend another five days to. touring Rio with him until she takes a plane to meet the boat at another port. We see her transformation more in her relationship with Jerry than we ever did at the sanitarium. Yes. But that it also implies that those two things almost are equal in the amount of help they give her. Having this interactions with Jer- these interactions with Jerry really do help cement the changes. It's mm-hmm. not surface level. It seeps deeper because right. of that. Yeah. that it, it goes beyond repairing the damage mm-hmm. and gives her a chance to grow and, and be healthy. And yet, not everything about this relationship is healthy. They can never really be together for, for various reasons. Which is kind of put on the back burner until it becomes extremely important in just a bit. Because eventually she does have to go back home to Boston, and she has to face her mother. And her mother tries to put her right back to where she had been. Yeah, her mother wants this nonsense to be done with and wants everything back the way it was, where she gets to tell Charlotte what clothes to wear and how to behave and wear your glasses, which apparently Charlotte doesn't really need, but her mother insists that she wear, because you, you only have one set of eyes, and I guess wearing the glasses is going to... Preserved there, was some, there was something very main character Persona 5 wearing <laughs> glasses with fake lenses just because he doesn't want anyone to recognize him. <laughs> I'm like, huh. Betty Davis would have played a great Persona character. Maybe a better Persona villain, but she would have been great. Oh, yeah, she could definitely. <laughs> my goodness. Claude Rains could have also done oh. well in like a... Oh, absolutely. No question. No question. Absolutely. <laughs> And but there's a lot of tension. It's such yeah. a tense couple of scenes when Charlotte goes home and is dealing with her mother. And is she just going to fall back into being dominated by her mother? Is she going to be able to preserve even some of, of what she has learned and who she has become? It's it's very mm-hmm. tense and nerve wracking. But eventually she she manages it. There's almost a little bit of a like. The mother could get better if she accepted also some of what Charlotte's bringing. Like, there's a little bit of a, I'm better enough to understand you also need help. Yes. Her, her mother uses her age and her argued frailty and, and illness as a, a tool to control other people. Yes. And we see that very, very specifically and very calculatedly. When Charlotte succeeds in holding her ground and essentially, I'm going to continue to sleep in the room in this house where I want to sleep. I'm going to wear what I choose to wear, not what you tell me I have to wear. And her mother, you, you literally see her when she goes downstairs, stopping on the stairs, looking around, looking at the stairs, glaring back in the direction of, of Charlotte. 
and throwing herself down the stairs so she can be injured. Yeah, which is terrifying. So that people will feel sorry for her and maybe Charlotte will now forget about this nonsense and take care of me like she should. That is one of the creepiest t- like TV mo- or movie depictions of manipulation I've it ever is. seen. It's it's chilling. It was it was chilling and powerfully terrifying. And it makes it clear it I could see where some viewers could have gotten to that point and thought her her mother, Charlotte's mother, is is wrong in so many ways, but she is sincere about thinking the way that she speaks. And and what she says is how she really feels. And this makes it clear it is a front. It is manipulation. She has certain things she wants and she will say and do anything to harm other people in order to get them. So yeah, that and, mo- the mom needs help on some stuff there. My goodness. And there again, we get that tension. Is this is is this going to work? Is this going to successfully convince Charlotte to go back to being dominated? But it doesn't. It doesn't. Things are actually sticking. Charlotte's got the confidence now. And she's got the the insight and the intelligence to know what's going on and and how her mother is manipulating her and why. And she is making sure that her mother gets the care she needs. The doctor comes in. The doctor has this great line about, well, is is she conscious? And the doctor is saying, well, if she's not, it's the worst torn ligament that, I, <laughs> that, that I've ever seen. You know, she, the, the, even the injury is not as bad as the mother would like it, it may yeah. to be. But Charlotte, she goes on to host the dinner party that uh, people had been invited for while the mother convalesces upstairs and, and takes visitors. In some ways, it almost, it almost backfires for the mother because in, in, in attempting to demand control in a greater way and it not being given, it gives Charlotte a chance to be in control of this group and this party and present the new her without any other commentary from the mother seeping in for little bits. And behaving as this as if this is the home in which she is entertaining guests, not this is the house in which her mother grudgingly allows her to live. Right. She she lights a fire in the fireplace that's never been used. Yes, it's always been pristinely and and delicately laid and never lit, and she lights it. Wonderful symbolism mm-hmm. there. Wonderful symbolism. That something is being destroyed by being burned, and light and warmth is being added to this house. And that's the thing. It's there's a lot of like the presentation was so important to the to the the mother. The family legacy was kind of so important, mm-hmm. but there's a there's this you know. But we never use it. It's never. It's never enjoyed. It's never used. It's never shared. Right. And and speaking of the family legacy and the family fortune, uh, that's another piece of leverage that the mother tries to use. It, it, when the, the the usual browbeating and domination does not work. She holds the threat of of the the will over her. Well, you're you're set to inherit absolutely everything, the entire fortune, as long as I don't choose to change my will. And there's there's actually pushback again. It that almost does shake Charlotte for a moment. It at least makes her think about that. Yeah, but she still picks the freedom, and that 
leads her in some ways to a relationship with I forget his name. There, the yeah, there's a a, a wealthy, well connected widower, right? And they've they've his family and her family have been connected uh, mm-hmm. over the years. They they met when they were kids, and and he seems like a fine man, and yeah. he he genuinely cares about her, and seems like a match that should work. Hmm. And so now Charlotte's engaged to someone else who can provide. So the threat of the money goes away. And her mother very much approves because his family is at least uh, of equal stature, if not a little more than the Vale family. So she thinks, well, you've brought a feather into our cap. I never would have expected it of you, but here we yeah. are. At least, at least something good has come of this, that you're going to be oh, yeah. marrying him. But that's when, at a party, he meets Jerry again. Yes. Oh, and the melodrama flares once more. Right. And they have this wonderful scene where they're having a dual conversation. They're saying all the pleasantries that they should be saying if anybody should overhear them. And in between those lines, they're dropping in actual lines in which they are talking to each other about the things they want to talk to one another about. It's wonderfully shot, wonderfully directed. Oh, it's so smooth. And he is he is not the man that she um that she knew in that he's taken some of his life back as well. We learned yes. that he had training and aspirations in architecture, but had to take some other kind of work to provide for his family when he had to get married. And mm-hmm. uh and now he has he's gone back to architecture and has had a success at it. He's, yeah. he's in Boston to help build part of a medical center. Yeah, he's building a medical center. He in 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 that same way I was describing before, where meeting with with each other helped each other in that sense. This is an example where that comes through very clearly, where suddenly there's this this brighter spot in his life, just this brighter spot in hers. We see right. that he's gone through his own version of the party and the lighting the fire in the fireplace mm-hmm. to some extent. And it's not that he had to leave things behind. He talks about the fact that with the confidence that he has since meeting her, he is a better man. He has made her, she has made him a better man. He's, he's gone back to his, the, the work that is his passion. He's kinder to the wife with whom he, he never really got along. He's doing everything he can for his children. So yeah, we learn very clearly. This was not a one way street in terms of who was helping who during their uh their encounter on that voyage mm-hmm. but meeting with him again re-sparks feelings reignites potentials and she realizes that she was i don't know if settling is the right word she was accepting of what life was going to be if she married elliot and had a predictable Boston society life of raising his two sons and having a child of her own, which she very much wanted. And, and yet she realized meeting Jerry again, it didn't have the richness, didn't have the passion that she knew life could have. And that melodrama perfect moment, she calls off the engagement. In one of the most civil breakup scenes in in all of movies, I think, between yes. her and Elliot, he realizes she's not going to be happy. 
this isn't going to work. And they, they, they both have this conversation They're They're, he's not happy, but they're both so incredibly polite and civil. Yeah. It's rare that you see a, like a breakup that we stay friends in a show, a movie like this. And yet it makes sense because the, their relationship never had enough passion to lead yeah. to a, a big passionate breakup scene. Yeah, it it fits. It's just unexpected. Yeah, it is odd. It is odd, but it's well done. Yes. But this does not make her mom happy. No, her mom is absolutely livid at this. Yes, this this marriage was the one silver lining to her having lost control of her daughter. Mhm. And that leads to an argument which leads to, you know, a bigger argument which leads to a heart attack. Yeah. Which her mom does not survive. No. And so there's this, there's a, a powerful moment where Charlotte dema- saying, you know, you demand this gratefulness, but I didn't ask to be born. I was, and I will live my life, but you can't, it's like, I didn't, I didn't request this in a way that you can then demand a payment. Right. I know you didn't and want me and I didn't want to be born. We're miserable all around. Yeah. A calamity on both sides. <laughs> yes, that's the line. But this absolutely, in despite everything, Charlotte did love her mother in mm-hmm. a way. She did, and the fact the fact that this this event transpires like that breaks Charlotte a little in a different way. Right, she feels immediately this guilt and was repeating, "I did it, I did it. It's her mm-hmm. fault that her mother died." And so she heads back to the sanitarium. Yes, this leads to, you know, almost another collapse, but she she has the understanding to know I I'm in a difficult spot again. I need help rather than to give into it. Mm-hmm. Again, a very intelligent approach to even her own mental health. And so she heads back and is able to get back on track again, but is also there kind of to help others. Yes. Because we had learned earlier that one of Jerry's daughters, Tina, was not doing very well. She, yeah. she, was, she was troubled. She, she was unhappy. She needed help. And, uh, and Charlotte had, had recommended and, and spoken so highly of the help that she received from, from Dr. Dr. Jackwith that Jerry sent Tina to Dr. Jackwith's place. Yes. And apparently it hasn't been going all that well, but Charlotte recognizes Tina when she gets there and immediately starts talking to her and kind of making a connection. Yeah. She immediately, in some ways, we saw her being, when she was at her worst version of Charlotte, we did already see her being a person who would care and and work to help someone else. It happened to only be her mother who had command, but there was something of a, a nature towards that, that was taken advantage of. But now as the revived revised, but working through something else, Charlotte, she's become, she's able to use that same ability, but this time to help Tina in a little bit of a different way. Right. And there's a lot of in Tina it also mirrors early Charlotte. Oh, very much. Very much. Charlotte really sees a lot of 
of herself in in Tina. Both in terms of like costume and everything else, but also personality. So they they make it obvious that there's this parallel where it's kind of new Charlotte stepping in to help someone who's similar to old Charlotte. And Janice Wilson, who is uncredited in the role of Christina, Tina, uh, does a tremendous job, I think, in in making this a character who seems real and, and fully formed and somebody who who can stand up to Betty Davis and her character in these scenes. And when I say stand up to, just kind of hold the screen as much as, as Betty Davis's character does. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. She has, yeah, she, she has range and it's kind of surprising. Janice Wilson has such a, a smaller filmography because she does an excellent job here. Yes. And we see that, that Christina is very, very good for Charlotte as well as Charlotte being able to help Christina because Charlotte has a sense of what Christina needs to build up her confidence and allow her to be who she can be. And Charlotte needs someone to, to take care of, someone yes. to be generous to. Someone to, there, there's, there's a great saying, and I'm sure it's been said better than this, but it's encouraging you to, if, you, if, if someone needs help, be the person that you needed yes. when you were in that position. Whether or not you had that person, be that person for somebody else. That's exactly what uh, Charlotte mm-hmm. has an opportunity to do here. Be the person that she needed when she was in Christina's There's a lot. There's place. bits that are a lot more relating because she understands where Tina is. There's bits where, she, where Christina actually takes actions that feel parallel to what her sister-in-law did that got her the help to begin with just in terms of the little, the little setups and the little actions and the little, I'll lend you the thing. Well, now that you've got the thing, you can do something. And this, this same sort of methodology. And yet as much as this is focused on Tina and it's, I think it's sincere and, and, and honestly looking to help Tina in the way that she, she mm-hmm. recognizes Tina needs help. There is the fact that we had just had these scenes in which she talked about yeah. wanting a child of her own and, and not going to have one when, after she breaks off the engagement with Ellie, she, she, and she knows that this is, is Jerry's child, the child of the man she, she really loved in a way she's never loved anyone else. Yeah. And that makes this complicated. And yet, I'm glad to see that it, it doesn't make it complicated in a way. That undermines the good that we see Charlotte doing. Yeah, she's doing good. There's a there's a selfish edge at times, but it's never not good. And the good is the focal point over what she wants in that sense. She does put Tina first. And a lot of that comes to a head when, well, her work with Tina goes beyond just kind of oh, being yeah. her friend at the sanitarium. They get permission to go off on a camping trip together. They spend a whole lot of time you know, out, out having fun, just being together. And then she gets permission to bring Tina Which, back to Boston, yeah. with her, essentially introducing Tina, kind of, she's giving Tina the experience that, that, that Charlotte had by going on a cruise right after her yes. successful treatment at the sanitarium. Something to do other than go right back to the place mm-hmm. where your problems may have come from. And Tina, by this point, is just transformed. She's so much younger, but she's transformed 
in the same kinds of ways that uh and there's a little bit of uh i was able to help you sooner which means you're not going to have some of the same long-term pains i now live yes i saved you from some of what i had to go through and once again jerry comes back well yeah taking taking his daughter out on a on a trip like that puts them inevitably to interact once more Yes, and he's been in the area with this architecture project, and he he visits the the house, and the house is now this bright yes. and lively place uh, compared to the way it was before. The wonderful lines too. It's Doctor Jackwith and uh, and Jerry coming to the house, and Jackwith is kind of warning Jerry that it's this dour, old, kind of dull and dark place, and. They open the door and it's anything but there's this party going on and people are roasting weenies in the fireplace and filled with uh, light and uh, and people. And Christina, this is the environment now that uh, Tina is getting to mm-hmm. to be a part of and enjoy. And there's this little bit of a, oh, I did a better job than I thought from the doctor. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. Such great reactions from Claude Rains. Oh, yeah. He just absolutely have a fun time with that. And we have one more than tense scene because there are ways in which Jerry cannot mm-hmm. accept this. And he wants to take Christina back home with him. And the only reason he gives is one of kind of selfish pride. How can he keep taking from, it's wonderful what you've done to, for, for, for Tina. How can I keep accepting all of this? Yeah. Never giving anything in return. And she points out, and, and Charlotte points out, how much you have given me in return. And allowing me to do this is giving me something in return. And I'm not totally satisfied with that conversation, but eventually it resolves well enough. There's a bit of a, an odd aspect where she's like, I'll, I'll keep helping Tina. And that lets us be a little bit like a family already. Right, and she sort of becomes the bridge, the focus of this, again, this romance that transcends typical romance. They don't have to be yeah. together, she and Jerry. They don't have to leave their prior lives and marry or anything like that. They know each other, they have this common goal, and they know how they, they, they feel about one another. And they, they kind of agree, yes, we will continue this way and... and and it'll be all for for tina and wonderful Mm -hmm. ending line let's not ask for the moon we already have the stars yeah it's an interesting place to end it and and i do find myself thinking about this in in comparison with something like magnificent obsession which is also about helping others and the way in which you get to a point where you recognize how you can best live for others and help others be it Lots of mm-hmm. others or a specific person. And yet it's such a different tone, such a different take, because it does focus on this one person's journey having to having to be healed herself in order to have any chance yes. to help other people. It it it's a remarkably modern story in that sense. Yes. Yes. Both in terms of the way it addresses mental health, the way it talks about relationships, and and also we're gonna talk about this movie. There are some tropes that absolutely have to be to be mentioned because there are so many that we we see them throughout movies tracing them back to this movie can be fun i don't know if all of them actually actually originated in this movie one i which i believe did 
is the whole romantic bit with lighting two cigarettes. He, he puts two cigarettes in his mouth and lights them yes. both and gives one to her. And that sort of becomes their sign, their, the indicator yeah. of their closeness. And, and of course, yeah, Paul Henry does this so smoothly. So smoothly. It's, it's so suave. And that, he does that when they're on their trip in, uh, in South America on the ship. And then it comes back several times as that sign of, yes. of the, the connection it's, and the love that they have. It's one of the signifiers that I, I believe that's used in the conversation when they re-meet is the cigarette thing there. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we still have yes. this connection. Something else is in the flashback we get early on to back to when Charlotte was 20 and she was uh, sailing on, on a ship with her mother and fell in love with, with an officer. and uh, and. The place that she and this officer uh, liked to go was the, the cargo deck. And there's yes. one particular limousine in which they are caught. And I'm thinking, huh. So did uh, James Cameron have this in mind when he made Titanic? Oh, uh, yeah. With that, that famous uh, limousine scene? Uh, I really do wonder. Because that was. I, I don't know if that's a mistake. It's a great reference if it is a reference to this movie. Oh, yeah. I choose to believe that it is. It's, it's one of those moments that's just. A little too perfect sometimes, but definitely like, I think that that was a reference back. Well, I, we're starting to talk about other movies now. We are. I think we might be heading towards our final questions. I think we are. But before we get to our final questions. If you would like to support the Intermillennium Media Project, you can do so in a few ways. Most importantly, you can tell your friends about it, let people know about it. Absolutely. Share the podcast with others. Uh, if you want to support the podcast in a more direct way. You can support us at our Patreon, and you'll find a link to that at www.immproject.com. And uh, you will get, in addition to supporting the podcast, you'll get additional audio content. And if you join at the movie club level, you will get the occasional mystery DVD. Ooh, you ever want to experience what I do of getting something to watch and think about that you've never even heard of sometimes? That's what this is. Come join me. Another way you can support the podcast is on our shop, which is also linked from that webpage where you can buy coffee mugs and t-shirts and notebooks and all kinds of fun things with the both IMMP logo merchandise, merchandise celebrating the sport of Kosho for prisoner fans, and asking the perennial question about who cares about Phobos. I gotta say, is Charlotte, was the sanitarium Charlotte went to a little too much like the island from the prisoner sometimes? Huh. <laughs> Yeah, they did refer to um, kind of the the right hand person of Doctor Jackwith as his like head of his police force or his chief enforcer. Yeah, not not quite a giant white ball, but yeah. <laughs> huh. <laughs> we did learn that uh, that Tina had tried to escape at least once. Yeah, know how she was brought back. Maybe Rover did it. Maybe Rover did it. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and if you want to contact the IMM Project, you'll find a contact page there at uh, immproject.com. And you'll also find our P.O. Box if you want to send us honest-to-goodness uh, U.S. mail. Yay! And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found many places, including Item Crafting on YouTube, Item Crafting Live on Twitch, and as Item Crafting on Blue Sky. And you can find me at mymatthewporter.com. You'll find links to other things that I'm doing there. You can find me on Mastodon at uh, by Matthew Porter at mastodon.social. 
And you can also find me on YouTube as by Matthew Porter, where you will find things like the Draft House Diary movie and movie theater reviews. Very nice. So, so final questions. Final questions. Screen or no screen? <sighs> this is hard because it's a good movie, but it is a very, very heavy movie in many ways. So it's I'm giving it a screen, but I'm giving it a be ready for it screening. This is a very if you're not ready for this kind of in-depth melodrama hits you in the feels thing, this could hit you at the wrong angle and really just not be a pleasant watch. Yeah, I could I could see this being particularly problematic for some people who who have particular trauma around family relationships and their men- mental health impact and if if you have any concerns about that, I would urge you to to learn a little more about the movie. Maybe read uh, some some high level synopses of it before deciding to jump in and watch it. That said, I think it is extremely watchable. It's not a super inviting movie because parts of it are tough. Yeah, but it is is a very ultimately a very satisfying movie. I think, and and once you are into it, a very watchable movie. Hmm. So I would say screen with those caveats. Uh, yeah. Our next question's an interesting one. Yes. Revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Because Revive would be doing another story about what happens after. That's, yeah. that's odd to do here, possibly. Yeah, it's you, not really a movie that has a hook for that. Is yeah. It? I mean, you could do a story about Tina kind of watching this awkward dance of Jerry and Charlotte mm-hmm. afterwards, but that's a very different story. And I worry that would be one of those follow-ups that has to undo or cause problems for the way that the original did its story. Yes. The way that this movie ends up being satisfying is that they do come to this unusual, but right for them way of relating to one another yes and you would i can't think of a story involving these characters that would would give you a story without undoing all that for the sake of conflict i think you're you're right about that so yeah i also can't think of any interesting prequels no uh a prequel would would just ultimately lead to where the 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 unpleasant place where the story begins and that's not going to be a very yeah inviting story either so uh, i can't see a prequel type revival either so a revival does not work in either way no a rest in peace would be very kind and fitting for a movie this good but i'm actually going to say reboot yeah because this did tackle conversations about mental health that we're still having now Mm -hmm. stigmas against getting treatment and help when people do need it Family trauma, which can be a huge thing. Yes. And a lot of the the relationship politics in this are a fascinating thing that kind of still can be questioned now. There's there's the issue like any movie of there's a wide range of how early in the age of movies, but the issue of the modern communication, like the concept mm-hmm. of cell phones makes some of the distance <laughs> and loss of connection harder without a bit of a narrative twister guess i guess so i guess so i can't think of too many places where it would have made a huge difference 
the fact that she that she knew she wouldn't see Jerry again upon leaving, yeah. and the fact that the chance encounter meeting up with him again would have to have a bit of a shift. I think not too much, but a tiny bit. I guess so. They the, that's one thing is un, until they reconnect later on af, after their their shared voyage, they could have been in touch with one another. They could have reached out by mail or by phone, and he kept sending her this corsage of a particular flower that represented something about their experience together. Yeah. So they had a contact, but they they chose not to have more extensive contact, even though they could have. So yeah, I don't know that it would have have changed things that much. That is a very good point. It would have made it less likely that they had to spend a night in a cabin because they couldn't reach help. Yeah. (laughs) But it's still That would have changed things, too. I would have, but I could see a newer version either set modernly or mm-hmm. still set somewhere period esque, but yeah. it works. I kind of keep imagining like an Owen Wilson kind of actor playing Jerry and some of these are people like I can see some oh. of these actors that have that the right kind of presence and can play the right kind of person who's working through stuff mm-hmm. doing a good job of this. Interesting. Yeah, that would that would make Jerry a very different kind of character. But if you're going to do a, a reboot, a remake, don't cast a modern Paul Henry. Yeah, cast somebody different. Do something interesting. Exactly. I like that idea. Yeah. So I don't know why that's what came to me, but it just clicked in my head that like this story could be told again, and in some ways the differences would reinforce the point it's making. Right, because it makes the it makes the message more universal when it's more than just these specific people who can mm-hmm. have this story, and that's powerful. Yeah, I could see that being being worthwhile, and and it would give you an, an opportunity to update the the information that we get and what we see about the course of of treatment that uh, that Charlotte receives and that Tina is later receiving. Absolutely updating some of the the sensibilities and terminology while at the same time recognizing that even now in in 2024 there are still issues and stigmas around mental health treatment exactly that need to be addressed and, and gotten over mm-hmm. so i like that idea yeah of a uh, a remake a reboot i i so i i'm i'm doing reboot remake kind of thing i say yeah. that tell this again don't let this story fade out i was i was it was hitting me so hard watching this that I wasn't sure I was going to land on that. And that ending is this odd mix of hopefully bittersweet, but acknowledging in all this perfect combo, but it all works. Yes. Yeah. Well, this was a, a definitely a different sort of month for us, with these two movies, uh, now Voyager and Magnificent Obsession, but they were, they're both old uh, melodramas that, yeah. that made an impact on me when I eventually saw them. And and as with uh, Magnificent Obsession, now Voyager's a movie that uh, Mrs. Darling Wife showed to me. Oh, I had oh. I'd never seen until I guess I was in college. And uh, and it, it made an impression because it was just so well made and it was so unlike other movies I had seen from that time period. Oh, yeah. Oh. Please tell me our next thing's a little lighter, though. My goodness. <laughs> uh, well, yes, yes. Uh, the next one, well, it is a little bit lighter. It's a little bit warmer. 
Okay. And, uh, and that'll be coming in, uh, in about two weeks. Sounds excellent. So we will be back then with more tales of media from the, the 20th century. Thank you very much for joining us, and we hope you'll uh, join us again then. In the meantime, go find something new to watch. <laughs>